today, you're in here with us. I think it's going to be lively. I think it's going to be fun. I'm going to be honest. I'm a little nervous. We're doing a different type of series today in which I want you to give me feedback, ask questions, make statements. I've got some questions for you. And the rest is for you just, if you have come prepared with something, which I understand Ken is ready to let it fly. So now I'm super nervous. Um, It's the reason that we're doing this is because a lot of what it looks like to follow Jesus is more about us individually exploring Christ, experiencing Him, learning what He is teaching us, and then exercising that with the body together. And a lot of times what we end up doing on Sunday mornings is, um, you know, I just kind of lecture. Uh, I may ask a question here or there, But what I want to do through these next seven weeks is we're going to go through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. That's a total of seven chapters. Every week, I want you to read a chapter. So you should have read chapter 1 this past week. If you didn't, you can hurry up and read it real quick. And it's short. Um, We're getting ready to read it together. Uh, And then we're going to come together, and I'm going to have some stuff that I'm going to share with you. And then I want you to also add to that discussion. Now, this is much of the way that teaching happened in the Old Testament. Uh, When the rabbis would teach, they would literally speak about the scriptures, and then they would open it up to questions. And many times the rabbis would teach with questions. So uh, they would just prompt you, but make you do the work. So I'm not saying that I'm a rabbi. I'm saying we are going to do some of that. And uh, scripture tells us that part of learning um, uses the analogy of iron sharpening iron. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So there's going to be some time over these next few weeks that you are going to enjoy it. There may be some times you don't enjoy it. There are going to be some questions or some statements that you're going to like. There may be some questions or some statements that you're not going to like. If you've ever sharpened anything, you know that it can be a violent process. Uh, and so what we want to do is not be violent, don't misunderstand, but we, part of learning and growing means we kind of butt up against each other at times, and that's, we have to have an openness to learn. So I want you to be a part of this and... Uh, and then I've got some ground rules I'm going to share with you. But what I want us to begin with each time we get together through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is I want us to actually read the text together. Now, 1st John chapter 1 is a pretty short um, chapter, uh, but let's stand and then we're going to actually read this together, okay? Yeah, some of you are like, I'm all ready, I'm set. Stand up. All right, 1st John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him, While we walk in darkness, 
we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin... Oh, it died. We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His Word is not in us. All right, you can be seated. Part of my goal today is to introduce these epistles. Now, you know what an epistle is, right? We often know, okay, an epistle is a letter that is written by one of the apostles to a group of people. Usually it's to a church, and most of the epistles that we talk about were written by Paul. These epistles are written by John, and I want to take you a little bit through the process of how we got here, and I want to tell you a little bit about John that you may or may not know. John, I'm sure you know, is one of the apostles, and he is is attributed to writing a few books in the New Testament. Do you know what they are? Gospel of John. First, second, and third John. Those are the easy ones. And somebody said it, Revelation. Now, John's life is a little bit different than all the rest of the apostles in that John is the only apostle that died a natural death in his old age. Every other disciple or apostle was martyred. And so when we look at the life of John, John wrote Revelation at the very end of his life. And 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he wrote towards the end of his life. Whereas the Gospel of John, he wrote more towards the beginning of the church's ministry. Now, John is the brother of James. They are both the sons of Zebedee, which means that John came from a very uh, affluential, influential family. Not only were they brothers, they were the sons of a man that we often refer to them as the sons of Zebedee, sons of a man who had a very lucrative fishing business and brought his sons into the business. Not only that, they had some friends that joined them in this venture and their business partner's names were, does anybody know? Peter and Andrew. So when we look back and we look at the calling of John, what we find is that John was in business with Peter, Andrew, and James. So all four of them, when they left their fishing business to follow Jesus, they were all within that same group. They all had previous relationships with each other, and they knew each other, and they knew each other well. Interestingly, Peter, uh, James and John were considered three of the most important apostles in the founding of the church. In fact, Paul would say at some point of them that they are the three pillars of the church in Jerusalem. John was incredibly influential in what he did there. John was also, some of you might like to know, incredibly headstrong. Has anyone in here ever been accused of being headstrong? Yeah, don't raise your hand, right? Some of you, me, me, I want you to know it. Uh, in fact, Jesus would refer to them by a nickname, the sons of thunder. Now, I don't know what your interpretation is of that nickname, but uh, for most, they believe that that means they were pretty impetuous. They were pretty headstrong. They at times said things they shouldn't have said and did things they shouldn't have done. 
John, interestingly, in spite of that fact, and the fact that Jesus at times had to kind of pull John back, John, uh, John and James would both be the two disciples that would stand before Jesus and say, uh, listen, we would like to sit on either side of you when you rule in heaven. Would that be okay? Uh, and uh, there was one place uh, in the story in which a person is healing uh, the sick, and John gets real upset because they're not doing it in the name of Jesus. And he says, no, you cannot heal the sick if you are not doing it in the name of Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, listen, if they are not against us, then they are for us. So don't so leave him alone. They are with us. Uh, so at many times, he's kind of had to be pulled back. And uh, yet John is still said to have been the disciple whom Jesus loved. So if you're headstrong, and if sometimes you get in trouble with family conversations, understand the one that was always quoted as being the one who Jesus loved was just like you. So sometimes we look at the, the disciples and we think, you know what, the disciple, the best looking disciple is the one who's just nice to everybody, who always says the right thing, never sticks their foot in their mouth, never does anything wrong, and yet the one that Jesus was so enamored with regularly did that. When we look at the story of John, John would follow Jesus in some of the ways that the other disciples were not. Peter and John were the two disciples that Jesus, before celebrating the last Passover, said, I want you to go and prepare the Passover meal. It was something that was very crucial. In the last Passover meal, it is said that Jesus reclined on or leaned on the disciple whom he loved. This would be John who wrote these these books, the gospel, and then these epistles in Revelation. Uh, it's also, John is the only disciple who would stay at the foot of the cross of Jesus until the death of Jesus. Jesus would look down at John as he is dying and say, I want you to take care of my mother, Mary. Now, some traditions say that John is actually the nephew of Mary, but we're not sure if that's the case. But there could be a family relationship between Mary and John and James. We're not sure, but it is possible. John would stay in Jerusalem until about AD 70. In AD 66, uh, there were enough groups that were rallying against Rome. If you remember, everything we read about in the New Testament, as far as the Gospels go, are at a time in which Rome is basically controlling Jerusalem. They're controlling Israel. And little pockets of people will come up to resist, and they will in some way try to have an insurrection in which they would overthrow Rome and they would be able to have their nation back. Now, this is significant, especially in the story of Jesus. When we come to uh, Jesus is being tried before Caiaphas, before Pilate, um, before all of the high priests, Whenever we come to that time and they demand Barabbas be released instead of Jesus, the thinking is Barabbas was one of the rebels that had tried to rise up against Rome, and that's what the people wanted. They wanted Jesus to be a military commander that would come in and take over, and Jesus constantly would say, well, that's not what I'm doing. But even after Jesus died, about, oh, 30 years after Jesus died, walked out of the grave, and then ascended into heaven, Israel began revolting to such a degree that Rome said they have to be dealt with. And so they would come in, and in 70 AD, Jerusalem was overtaken. This is when the dispersion began, and and the Jews and the Christians went out into all different places. Rome pretty much shut down Israel, and Israel would be shut down as a nation state until 1948. 
This all happened at 70 AD. At this point, John is going to leave Jerusalem. John is going to head to Ephesus. And you heard, uh, you heard Brent and Carrie talking last week about much of the story of what John did happened in Turkey. So much of his, the, the rest of his life was spent in Turkey. He would become so influential as a church planner. He would become so influential with just in politics and with all that was going in the area that, that Vespasian, the uh, Roman dictator, said he has to be dealt with. We have to get rid of him. And so they arrested him. They brought him to Rome. They put him in a cauldron of oil that was boiling in order to kill him. And yet, miraculously, John was never injured. At this point, John's pulled out of the cauldron. He's still a threat. Now, he's even more of a threat because he has survived boiling oil. And he is sent off to the island of Patmos, where we read about, uh, where we read that Revelation was written, where he had the vision, and where he continues to reach out to the churches. Eventually, John is going to uh, come out of exile. He's going to move back to Ephesus. And he's going to live out the rest of his life there. And in that time, what he begins to view within the churches, and interestingly, Revelation, the the letters to the seven churches in Revelation, are basically the churches in which he either founded or in which he was regularly in contact with. Because as as Brent and Carey also mentioned last week, they were all right there in that same area of Turkey. So John is an incredibly influential figure. Something begins to happen, and this is why we have 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, why we have the epistles. The epistles were not written in order to document for Scripture. The epistles were written, all of them, whether Paul's or John's, were all written for the goal of communicating something specific to a specific group of people, something they were struggling with. And in this regard, and we're going to look at four places in 1st John in which Paul, John says why he wrote this letter. But essentially, as we look at the big picture, John is writing this letter because as they got farther and farther away from the crucifixion and the resurrection, false teachers began to come into the church and they began to say things like, Jesus was not really the Son of God. They would say things like, well, Jesus was the Son of God, but the Son of God could not possibly be contained in a physical body. He could not possibly have been fully human. He was fully God, but not fully human. So we have these interesting things that begin to change the gospel, and John is compelled to tell them, you have to get this right. And what we read in chapter 1 is really an introduction to what he's going to say in these three epistles. And so as we go through this, I want us to understand what is the purpose, why is he sharing all these things with us, and I do want us to see how important John was and how incredibly influential he was. It is said about him that in later in his life, while in the beginning of uh, his ministry as a disciple, he was very strict on people. And he said, listen, you got to be devoted. you got to be committed. you got to be in. you got to do everything just right. And if you're not doing it just right, you're not, even, you're not even a part of us. And yet it is said of him that as he got older and older, there was one phrase he would repeat over and over. And that was, little children, love one another. So he would take all of his influence and all of his teaching. At the end of the day, he would boil it down to this phrase, little children love one another. Now let's go through here and let's look at some of the 
let's look at, get some of the initial stuff out of the way, and then I want us to jump back into 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. The primary themes that you're going to find are two. One is truth, and one is love. Martin Luther said about 1 John specifically, this is an outstanding epistle. It has John's style and manner of expression. So beautifully and gently does it picture Christ to us. John was so enamored with Christ. He was so focused on us understanding the true image of Christ that he wanted to communicate to the churches who Jesus was and the truth of who he was. So in these primary truths of truth and love that we're going to follow, I'm going to give you some ground rules, okay? Now, one of the things I love about our church is how active so many of you are. Not just in our church, but outside of our church. The number of things that we're involved with in ministries, whether it be room in the inn or uh, whether it be working with your coworkers or your neighbors, uh, is really astounding. We've been taking care of a couple of ladies' lawns and, and uh, some, of the, some of our families, specifically the Abels and the Rogers, have helped with that. The boys and I went and mowed a couple of lawns for some ladies from Widow's Harvest this week. And if you're interested in helping to mow some grass, which I hope you are, uh, come talk to me. And if you've already talked to me, I'm very forgetful. Come talk to me again, and we'll get you signed up to do that. We do Widow's Harvest about six times a year. And we typically go during the times of year that they don't have a lot of volunteers so that if there are some ladies that need help, we can help them when no one else is helping. Some of the things that some of you all are doing specifically, uh, Mark uh, Belknap has now gotten real involved with Union Gospel Mission. And I think is it the second Tuesday of every month, he's now preaching down there um, Tuesday night. And I know that he would love to have some company if you'd like to go just be there. And that's it's literally just down the road here. Chloe uh, led VBS this week at uh, Hickson United Methodist. And I see that you survived. The kids didn't kill you. And you had a good time, right? And you've done it before. Emma, I don't think she, there's Emma. Emma was uh, serving at a Christian camp last week and is going back this week. And she survived as well, even though she didn't get coffee as much as she felt like she needed it. Now, there are all kinds of things that are going on in this room that are important. One of the things I'd like to see us do as a church is challenge each other more in our understanding of Scripture and how we live it out. Now, it's very cultural for Someone like me to stand up and tell you everything you're supposed to know and what you're supposed to believe and how you're supposed to act. But that's really not the way Scripture describes it. In fact, when Scripture talks about the church, it says we all share in these things together. We each have our own area of strength in which in those areas we shore up weakness within the church. But we are all responsible for teaching each other, for learning from each other, for serving each other, for serving those outside these walls, and especially in taking the gospel all over the places in which we go. We should do that together. So that's why I wanted us to begin a, a way of doing sermons. And we're going to try it for this series. This may be the only day we do it. Next week we may be back to lecture, right? We'll see how it goes. But I wanted us to try to have some more dialogue. And even though I'm talking a lot up front, there will be less and less of this as we go over the next few weeks. In order for us to get along and to make forward progress in this, I do have some ground rules. 
Do I have, did I put slides up for ground rules? Yeah, let's go to the first ground rule. The first ground rule for our discussion is that you need to be prepared. It means you need to read. It means you need to spend time praying about it. You probably need to read it more than once. Uh, I think there are 10 verses in chapter 1. You could read it about five times in about 10 minutes. Uh, read it more than once. Look at the cross-references. If you're reading cross-references, if you're using version, you just have to click, uh, click the link, the little footnote link, and it will take you to the cross-references. Look at other places in Scripture that may talk about this. Do some work. The more work you do, the more prepared you will be. Some of your questions will be answered just in that process. And for others, if you, that still doesn't answer them, you can bring them here. Now, let me just, I have to give a disclaimer in that I don't know everything. Uh, my family says, I think I know everything, but that, that's an act. I really know I don't know everything. So you may ask something I don't know the answer to or something I need to think more about. And if that's the case, then I will bring it back the next week. But I want you to be prepared. Struggle to come to your best understanding of what John is trying to say and look for other scripture to support um, your interpretation or the things that you're bringing away from it. A second ground rule that we have is be respectful of others in the room, which means we, I know this is crazy, this sounds crazy, but we have different opinions in this room. Um, I know, it's crazy, isn't it? I thought we all thought alike on everything, but apparently we have some differences of opinion. Now, we need to respect each other. Now, in the interest of iron sharpening iron, at times we may feel uncomfortable. That's normal, and that's the way it should be but let's be respectful of others in the room. Number three, if you feel someone is wrong and you, you feel the need to say so, then please be sure that you can, you can point to Scripture to support your thought. Um, we are not going to have time to just go through lots of opinions. We need, and this is just a life lesson, you need to be able to point to Scripture for why you believe what you believe. If you cannot have some scriptural foundation for that, then you're treading on very thin ice. And while there are many things that we have to make decisions about, the Scripture doesn't say specifically something about that, uh, we need to be able to somehow go back to Scripture. And so if you want to disagree, absolutely disagree. Let's do it respectfully, and let's be sure we're backed with Scripture when we do that. Now, it may be we do have different interpretations, and at times we will simply say, I just read it differently. And listen, that is a valid response. That is a valid response. There are some things we need to agree on. There are a whole lot of things we don't have to agree on, right? We, we need to agree on the basics, but there are a whole lot of things that uh, Jesus is not clear about. And as long as we have a biblical basis, we're okay. Number four, be prepared to contribute and to learn. If you come just to contribute and not to learn, it will come across. If you come to learn and not to contribute, well, you won't contribute. So be prepared to contribute and to learn. And then the last one, is that the last one? Oh, I thought I had five. I guess I had four. I guess I deleted one. All right, the unwritten rule. Well, I think the unwritten rule was uh, don't expect men to have all the answers. Um, I wish I did, but I will get back to you. Okay? All right, let's dive in. First John chapter 1, verse 1. Let's start over. You don't have to read this time. But let's look through. Let me walk us through some of this. And then I, I have some questions. Or if at any time I'm talking, you want to stop me and ask a question or make a statement, do that. Okay? All right. Verse 1. That which was from the beginning, 
which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. Now, this first verse, there are some that would say, well, are we sure John wrote this? Because John never says, I, John, write this letter. But we do know just based on this verse that John, it didn't have to be John. Tradition has attributed it to him, but it has to be someone who watched Jesus, who was there, who saw him, who was close to him, who not only heard and saw him, but actually could put hands on him, could touch him. So uh, this has to be one of the disciples. Um, Tradition tells us that it's John. And what you'll find if you'll read this, 1 John, in conjunction with the Gospel of John, they are so similar that there is not a single scholar who would say that they're, they're different people uh, because they are so similar in style and content. We have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. We have seen it. Who's he talking about here, do you think? Talking about Jesus. The life was made manifest. That's important. Jesus is the life. And he says, we have seen it. I think for us, one of the things we have to struggle with within our faith and today, being 2,000 years removed from these events, what does it look like for you and I to have seen it? Clearly, we weren't there. We didn't actually see the events unfold before our eyes. We didn't get to talk to Jesus. We didn't get to put hands on Jesus. We don't have the same experience that they have. And yet, we should be able to have seen something. One of the things we have to struggle with, and I'm going to ask you in just a few minutes, is what are some of the ways that we today can see Jesus? We have seen it. And as a result, testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So what are they proclaiming? What they have seen and heard. Yeah, what they have seen and heard, they have to proclaim. Now, when we start talking about evangelism, you know, sometimes we get nervous about evangelism. What am I going to say? What if I don't have the answers? What if I mess up? What if they're not interested? What if they, they you know, chew me out or get mad at me? And the reality is when we approach the gospel that way, we're approaching it from the wrong perspective because the way that the apostles approach this always, and we hear Peter and John both said this also in Acts chapter 3, which interestingly, when we guys who were in our Wednesday night kind of discussion group through Acts, we talked about Acts chapter 3 last Wednesday in which Peter and John walked into Solomon's portico and there was a layman who had been lame from birth said, hey, get up and walk. He got up and walked. And that's the point that really the church started making momentum. 3,000 people got saved. And it was incredible as they were preaching and teaching. This is all happening as Pentecost has happened. And now the Holy Spirit is within the apostles. John was there when that happened. And he's saying the exact same thing now that he said then. We cannot but tell what we have seen and heard. He's repeating that. Here at the end of his life, he has continued that same focus. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Let me give you four reasons John wrote this epistle. Then we're going to open up for some questions. There are four places in 1 John in which John says why I write this. 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. 
he says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So the first reason for writing this apostle or this epistle was for joy. Second time we see this in chapter two, verse one, it says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness. He is writing it to encourage holiness among the churches in which we are living out lives trying to avoid sin. Number three, in chapter two, verse 26, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Now we have already mentioned that. The third reason for writing is he's trying to defend what is true. Remember our two core themes for first, second, and third John is love and truth. The fourth thing we read in chapter five, verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So his fourth reason for writing these epistles were that you would know you have eternal life. So those are the themes that we're going to see over the next seven weeks or next six weeks after this week. Now, let me back up. I've got some questions. What, do you have a question or a thought as we go through those first four verses? Crystal clear? Hmm? You can make a comment. Go ahead. I know. It's so nervous. It's, I'm nervous. I'm more nervous with you, Renee. But you can talk. So Mark said that um, sometimes we get nervous whenever we're going to share the gospel with people. Can y'all hear me? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, we get nervous when we're going to share the gospel because we feel like we don't um, have the words to say and stuff. And we feel like, you know, what if I messed up or whatever? But um, he also said, like, um, in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare unto you. So it's not really coming from you. It's coming from the Lord. So that's just, like, an encouragement that, like, if you feel like you can't do it, you don't have to do it. The Lord can do it. That's the, you know, it's the Holy Spirit that does it. It's just if you're willing to let him use you is really what it's about. Um, so if you're wanting to share the gospel with somebody, I would encourage you to pray beforehand that the Lord can give you the words to speak, because he will. He will give you the words to speak. He knows if he knows, like, your heart and your true intentions. You know, that's just an encouragement. It doesn't have to come from you. It's, uh, it's that which we have seen and heard. We declare unto you. Yeah, very good. Very good. Thank you, Renee. Is it important to you that the writers of these works, the Gospels, the Epistles, is it, is it important to you that they were eyewitnesses? Why? Why is that important to you? And also, then that makes 
the Holy Spirit in them also true, mm-hmm. and then you can see the work of the Lord continue, which I think for us today means that we also can do the same work because we have the Holy Spirit in us if we have a relationship with Jesus. Right, okay. So just if I can paraphrase what you just said. Well, you're saying the connection you're making is if they were there, saw it, heard it, this actually happened, then everything else Jesus said was going to happen also can be trusted, which includes the Holy Spirit, which continues the ministry of Jesus through us, right? And yes, and also it's their testimony. And we can't, I mean, if you tell me your testimony, I can't really dispute that. Right. Right. Very good. Very good. Was there a hand back here, Paul? I'll come back to you, Stacy, in just a minute. Yeah, Paul. Very good. I would say surviving a boiling cauldron of oil helped that too, right? That would dig, I would be pretty convinced after that. Good, very good. Thank you. Stacey? Yes. So truth is a very important concept is not the right word. I'm not sure the right word I'm looking for. Truth is so crucial for us simply because so many people disagree on what truth is, right? Truth is in the eye of the beholder is is really kind of our cultural response. And one of the encouragements that I think many have taken and one of the reasons Christianity has been so consistently focused on, on the incarnation of Christ. In other words, Jesus God the Father was with God the Son and the Holy Spirit eternally, forever. Jesus being incarnated into humanity where he is now fully God and fully human. We see so many evidence of that, but if they had lived easy lives after the resurrection of Jesus, they got set up in a palace hotel, you know, they had plenty of money, everybody told them how great they were, and they had no hardships, then it probably would not have gone very far. They would have said, yeah, they, they rode that one well. 
Um, however, uh, the fact that they would give their lives, not many people would give their lives for a charade or live lives of poverty as a result of that charade. So yeah, gives gives more credence. Yes, I great, great comments. Anybody else on these? Renee? I have another one. Okay. Okay. So you said that like um, all the disciples got, well, except for John, apparently, but um, they all got like um, martyred and they died horrible deaths and stuff. And um, there's a verse. I don't know where it is. Don't um, don't hate me, but I don't know where it is. But it says that like um, the world will hate you because mm-hmm. you love me. You know what I'm talking about? So. Um, I think it also shows us that, like, because, like, it's so easy to get mad at God whenever we're going through something hard or something doesn't make sense. But, I mean, first of all, Jesus was nailed to a cross. So, I mean, God never said that it was going to be easy. He never said that everything was going to make sense. He never said that, um, you know, you're going to be safe, like, physically safe. Yeah. You know, so I think that also... Is kind of like it's just showing like even the people who walk side by side for Jesus like um, they're getting beheaded they're getting they're dying horrible deaths um, for his name's sake so like you're not an exception yeah right 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 yeah that's true that's true it's very good very good let me ask you this I want to do something a little different here so this is great when you're John and you've got people saying, yeah, I watched you get out of that cauldron of oil. I watched Jesus. I was there at Solomon's portico when Peter and John told this lame man who had been lame his whole life to get up, and he got up. And you know, when you see those things, it gives, us, it gives that person uh, a lot of authority. Uh, us today, we don't see these things so much. We've not experienced those things. Uh, let me ask you this, and this is, I want you to think about this, and I'm going to give you just a couple of minutes with some people around you to brainstorm. Now, I'm not gonna, we're not going to make you anyone talk, but I, just with a couple of people around you, how today can we have the testimony of what we have seen or heard, okay? Take a couple of minutes. How do we have a testimony? Can we have a testimony today of what we have seen or heard, Okay. Can be somebody next to you, somebody behind you, can be a group of people. Uh, take two or three minutes, and I just want you to talk about that. I know this may feel uncomfortable. There's no wrong answers. Um, I'd just like to hear what you have to say, okay? All right, take a couple of minutes.
All right, what have you got? Anybody have something they want to share? How can we can we have seen and heard today? If so, how how do we have that kind of a testimony today? Somebody throw something out. Lives are changed. Like give an give an example. Okay. Lives change. Very good. What else? I think that, that, I mean, honestly, that is, you're right. Um, that is, that's the thing. Lives yeah. change. That is our biggest witness. Yeah. Is, I'm not who I was. Right. Renee's not who she was. Right. You know, and I can say I've watched her, I've watched Matt, I've watched some of these other kids in this youth group thrive that started out uh, fearful and hopeless. Yeah. And they don't have that anymore. They have, they have a lifeline and they have a strong foundation and they're growing on that and they're dazzling, you know. Just, yeah. They're the new martyrs and they're taking it seriously. You, yeah, it's hard to it's it's hard to argue anybody to argue about life change. Jean, I think your hand went up. Oh, two jeans. Go ahead, Jean, in the back. We'll come back to you, Jean, up here. Go ahead, Jean. Nyman. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes our testimony, if it's all uh, sunshine and rainbows, um, it's hard for people to relate to that because that's, and, and it's hard, honestly, for me to relate to that as well. Very good. Gene, toe the road. Very good. The, the work of the Holy Spirit is so important for a follower of Jesus. And to, to recognize that and to, to live within that. Do you, I've asked this from some, in some small groups, but let me just ask you. Do you ever have a moment where all of a sudden you recognize your core way of dealing with something changes? And you realize in that moment God has done something in you to change you. Have you had those moments? Yeah, look at all those hands. Me too. Where there are just moments and I'm, you know, like normally this is not how I would not respond with such grace and calmness to this situation. I know that that this is the Holy Spirit. Praise God. You know, something's, this is not my default way of handling this. Those types of moments for me are, are like those seen and heard moments, Gene. And they're very encouraging to me at times, you know, when we look in the mirror and think, wow, sometimes I feel like such, you know, such a fake. But to have those moments where the Holy Spirit just clearly is at work to say, yes, you're working on me. I can trust what you're doing. Yes, those are great testimonies. Caitlin? Mm-hmm. And like ways that they have seen the Holy Spirit more than like, well, this is what 
Yeah. Would you say would you say those were important because it's harder to believe just because someone believes something true if they've not if they're not living it out? Is that a part of it? Okay. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Christina? Right. Yes. Yes. That consistency is so important. Very good. All right. Well, I can tell you we're not going to make it verse five today. We're going to push that to next week, but we're not done right now. I don't want to also miss one thing that is crucial in John's argument through all of the epistles that we do read about in these uh, first four verses, specifically in verse three, where he says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that, now remember, there are some words in Scripture that should just rise, our antennas should go up. You know, the hair on the back of our neck should go up. And so that is one of those. I'm telling you this thing because, and now I'm going to tell you why that's important. And so the next thing that John says is what he is saying, this is why that's important. You, so that you too, he's talking to these churches, you too which let me just back up. If you'll remember of those seven churches in Revelation that John will write about five of those seven, he will say, I love you, but I've got a problem with you. So he is writing to them and he's trying to encourage them in this direction, not assuming that everyone that he's writing to is a believer, even though they themselves may believe they are so that you too may have fellowship with us. And then he goes on. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So now he's talking about fellowship of the churches. And John, at this point, is not just some stoic author, but he is planting churches all over Turkey. And as he's planting churches, he's teaching them. And then they get into problems. They don't know what to do. Then he's going back and he's saying, now, this is how you need to handle this moving forward. And he is talking about this fellowship that is fellowship with the father and son. So sometimes when we talk about fellowship, like when I grew up, uh, fellowship meant eating, right? Um, I think it still does for most of us. Fellowship meant we're going to have fellowship at the church. Oh, what are we going to eat? You know, and if it's a youth fellowship, you know what you're going to eat. You're going to eat 
Pizza. That's absolutely right. You know, um, by the way, I just have to say last week's table lunch that we had, the potluck that we had last week was amazing. Oh my goodness. It was amazing. Um, I, I mean, there, listen, you all can make some good food. So that was great. But fellowship is not just about food. He's actually associating fellowship among the church with fellowship with the Father and the Son. In other words, it's all connected. Now, this is important because there are some, and it's kind of become popular, and it's attributed to Gandhi to say, you know, I love Jesus, I just don't like his followers. You've heard that probably at some place or another. John, kind of ahead of the game, counters Gandhi's argument and just saying, listen, if you don't love your brother and your sister, when he's talking about other believers, if you don't love the church, you don't actually have the love of God within you. Which is, we'll get to that, that's chapter 5. But it's really incredible that John would say that. In which he is saying the fellowship that we have, like when we come here together, if we leave this place not experiencing the Father and the Son together, something in fellowship hasn't happened the way it's supposed to. That does not mean that Jesus is going to get up here on stage and go nuts on a base, you know, right? That would be a lot of fun to watch, but it does mean that something should happen among us and with Christ and the Father. Not just in an event, but just within our, our lives, there is a relationship between fellowship of the church, which is us, followers of Jesus, and Jesus, and the Father. He's saying this fellowship with us is not just fellowship with us. It's not just being a member of a church. It's not just attending. It's not just showing up for an event. It's literally fellowship with the Father and the Son. It's all combined. It's all the same kind of fellowship, which just gives more credence to this relationship being more, there's more to it than just the fact that we attend a church together. And as we look at what's going on around our city with some other churches too, the ability to see unity growing between churches is just, this makes this all the more true and all the more real for us. And the reality is, if we do not begin to heal the division between churches, then when we look at what John is saying, we cannot live out this life as the apostles and as Jesus demonstrated to us that what it would be, that we would be united as the church across denominational lines, across city, state, and national lines, that we would be united in one body with Christ. And but he's making the crucial um, analogy that a fellowship within the church is fellowship with the Father and with the Son. We'll need to unpack that later. I do want to leave you with this. This is what we're going to stop with today. And that are the, these are the five primary things that you can take away from this four, first four verses, all right? Five things, which interestingly, I'll ask, here's something for you just to think about. Why did John say, that he was writing this so his joy would be complete. Why was this necessary for him to write this so that his joy would be complete? That's something to not only think about, but if John is also an example for us, however we answer that question also tells us how do we complete our joy. And for John, he needed to communicate these truths 
And what we're going to also find is John was not just focused on truth. As I said, he, he would just repeat over and over and over, you know, little children love one another. This call to love. He just, that was on his heart. These two things over and over. Why did he need to communicate these things in order for his joy to be complete? So the five primary things that he's saying, just to set us up for the rest of uh, the epistle. Number one, Christ is our life. He is our life. When it comes down to enduring persecution, when it comes down to having people mad at us because of what the Bible says, Christ is our life, not peace with the world. Okay, Christ is our life. Number two, what he says is that Christ has existed eternally with the Father. We'll look at that again next week because we're also next week going to look at John chapter 1 because it so closely mimics John, 1 John 1, 5 through 7. But Christ has existed eternally. He didn't just appear in, in, in a manger. <laughs> he was been here, he's been here all along. In John chapter 1, literally, all that was created was created through Christ. He's not just our Savior. I, so you can chew on that this week. Jesus is our life. Jesus, all things were created through Jesus, including us. How we receive life within us is because of Jesus. Jesus died so that we can have eternal life with God. It's all tied up in Jesus. There is no way to overstate how important Jesus is to all of us. The third thing that he says is that John and we have fellowship with God the Father and Jesus because Jesus became flesh. This is the incarnation, which is super important, one of the most, a, a super important doctrine for salvation. If we don't have the doctrine of incarnation in which Jesus was fully God and fully man, it messes up all of the gospel. Number four, primary statement, proclaiming faith in Christ is the foundation of our fellowship with other believers. Not how cool the music is, not how good the donuts are, though we don't have a lot of donuts here, you know. But fellowship is, is built and dependent on our proclaiming faith in Christ together. And then John's joy, I'll answer my question in the way that I see it, John's joy was dependent on others coming into fellowship with Jesus, the Father, and other believers. Until all people that John came in contact with experienced this fellowship with God the Father and, and Jesus the Son of God, he was not, his joy would not be complete. He was so pushed in order to take that to others that he couldn't be full until he had done that. Okay? All right. Y'all did really good today. This was a lot of fun. I didn't sweat near as much as I thought I would. Anything? Yeah. Kaylin? So here's what we're going to do. So next time we're going to, you can read chapter 2, but let's read First John chapter 1 again because we're going to go 5 through 10 next week. Go ahead and read John chapter 1 too. I'll send this out this week. So read First John 1 again and then read the gospel of John chapter 1 this week. Those, those two will be um, what we talk about and then we'll push chapter 2 to the following week. Okay? All right, good question. Any other questions or, or comments you wanted to make before we get out of here today? Okay, Rick? So number five of, um, you said John gives four reasons for writing the epistle. Mm-hmm. I would say the fifth one is because he's inviting others. He's inviting us to be in fellowship with other believers and with Christ. Yes, very good, very good. Okay, Ken, you didn't throw a single question out. You are you? You're going to be ready. 
You're going to be ready next week? You're always ready. All right. All right. Um, okay. I want to pray with you. If, uh, if you're our guest today, I know this probably feels a little weird. If you've been here since we started as a church, you probably felt a little weird. Uh, I, this, is, this is great. And I hope you're challenged. And I hope you'll come back ready to discuss next time. I did want to say, if you have a question that you feel or a statement or a belief or whatever, and you don't feel comfortable bringing it up here, but you still would like to talk about it, I'm available. You can email me, text me, call me, message me, however you want to do it. I'll be glad to have an offline conversation about any of these things, okay? Um, So we can continue this conversation offline as well, all right? All right, love you guys. Thank you for participating. We'll do this again next week. And uh, so 1 John chapter 1 again, and Gospel of John chapter 1 for this week. Uh, Let's pray. Father, God, I just thank you that you have so designed and organized the body that we have the opportunity to learn and grow from each other. Father, I pray that as we move forward together, uh, that we would honor not only who you are, how important you are to us. You are our life. Uh, we We owe all things to you. We have fellowship with one another only because of you. And Father, I thank you that uh, you just give us the opportunity to hear from someone as credible as the Apostle John. Thank you for preserving his words. Uh, I pray that we would receive them, um, embed them into our hearts, and live them fully within our lives so that others can see them as well. I thank you for the testimonies in this room of the things that we truly can see in here today. And I pray that you would give us boldness and courage that we could take those testimonies out to others who do not yet know you and have fellowship with you so that our joy can be made complete as well. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.